So on Saturday, Steve led us through this reflection on worship, on the importance of worship for forming us, on how the church year actually forms us, and of the kinds of practices that we can use as helpful tools to encounter the triune God. This morning in worship, Steve preached for us, and he preached about the season of Advent, about how we are called to be God-bearers through Advent, even as Mary was called to do that. And he preached about Christmas tide and how God enters into the world through this person. And he talked about Epiphany, this oh moment, this realization of what's been going on all along. And when he preached about that, he talked about Jesus' baptism at the Jordan River. And so we thought, for those of you who were there Saturday and maybe you did catch the sermon this morning, we could continue that trajectory together. And for those of you who missed out on Saturday and who didn't feel like waking up early enough for an 11 a.m. service, um, that we could recap a little bit too and go through this all together. So this evening, I'd like to reflect with you about how baptism at the River Jordan connects to this other event which we commemorate together this Sunday, the transfiguration of Jesus. The gospel writers intentionally bookend this public ministry of Jesus with these two stories. It kicks off with the baptism at the Jordan, this grand announcement of God's love for his son, and it concludes before Jesus' passion, before his journey to Jerusalem and his trial, torture, and death with an image of Jesus' glory and that same pronouncement of God. We are meant to connect these two stories. There's something in these stories, both of them, for us. Matthew's gospel is actually unique in his handling of the baptism of Jesus. In Mark and in Luke's stories, the voice speaks to Jesus. The voice says, you are my son. But in Matthew's account, the voice is speaking for the sake of those who hear. This is my son. It's a story about the witnesses to these events. It's the story about the epiphany that we all enter into as much as it's a story about the Son. It is fitting that the baptism of Jesus introduces the season of Epiphany then, because it provides an insight into the life of God that we don't get to see otherwise. It reveals something about who God is to us. There's that beautiful moment as Jesus is brought back up out of the water, and it says the heavens open. Something's gonna be revealed, the heavens open. And the Spirit of God descends like a dove, and the Father speaks those words. Those words, this is my Son, the Beloved, in him I am well pleased. In the third chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we see that God is a community, and that God is a community of love. Then we have this other story, the story of the Transfiguration. In the Reformed tradition, this is a story that we consider on the last Sunday in the season of, Ad, of Epiphany, rather, before we begin the season of Lent. It's the final thing which happens in Jesus' life and ministry before he begins his journey to the cross, and so we reflect on it as we prepare to join him in that journey. In this transfiguration narrative, we see, along with the disciples, Jesus glorified, transfigured and blindingly bright. 
He's overwhelmingly present to the disciples, so much so that they want to stay. Peter's ready to build them houses. Let's do this. He needs to do something. We need to do something in this beautiful image of Jesus, truly himself. Jesus, for Peter, he's placed along these giants of the faith of Moses and Elijah. Jesus in continuity with the ministry of these figures. Jesus truly as the fulfillment of the ministries of Moses and Elijah. This is really a validation of the last three years of Peter's life and the life of those other disciples that it hasn't been wasted, that they've been on the right track. Then, as if that transfiguration itself wasn't enough, as if seeing Jesus in all of his glory wasn't enough, God speaks again. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is a new addition to that same formula. Listen to him. The father affirms the authority of the son affirms the identity of his son. The father says to those disciples, you weren't hallucinating all those years ago. I really said that about him to you then. I'm really saying it to you now. This is key instruction for a group of followers who are going to have a hard few weeks ahead of them. It is important encouragement for a community that will see their Lord and friend beaten and scorned and killed. The transfiguration of Jesus is a preview of the resurrection. This is Jesus as Jesus will one day be forever. This is a glimpse of something much bigger and it's fuel for days of despair and hopelessness. It's something to cling on to when all other hope falls away in the coming days. So not only are these two events bookends of Jesus' public ministry, and not only are they the bookends of our season of epiphany, in Christ we find that they are also the bookends of our worshiping life as individuals and together. In Christ, we become participants in this same story. In our worship, we find that we pattern our worship after this story of baptism to transfiguration. And the voice and the presence of the triune God always marks this story for us. As we continue to rehearse it week after week in anticipation of the day when God's promise to us at our baptism when that promise is fulfilled in the resurrection of the body, which Christ has initiated and promises he'll one day complete for all who are in him. In the New Testament, you'll find all kinds of scripture verses talking about this, bringing us in this direction. In Ephesians, we're told there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We here share a common baptism. We share a common baptism because we've been baptized into Christ. His life becomes our life. His baptism is our baptism. There is a transformational work in us, a transfigurational work in us as we are baptized with Jesus and God affirms our identity in Christ for us. This is my son. 
This is my daughter, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And then in Romans, we hear that if we are baptized into Christ, we share not only his life, but also his death. And then we hear if God's Spirit raised Jesus, so too should we expect to be raised by that same Spirit. So not only can we say that in these stories from Jesus' life that Jesus is revealing God to us and revealing God's community to us and revealing God's love to us, but we can also say that in these stories from Jesus' life, Jesus is revealing ourselves to us. Jesus lived our story for us. Our lives are hidden with Christ on high, as we sang this evening. So there's not just one baptism that we share, but one resurrection which we anticipate. And the transfiguration of Jesus, that glimpse of his resurrection, is a promise to us in our worship as well. Our worship is patterned in that baptism to transfiguration flow where transfiguration is a taste of the coming resurrection. It's just a taste. But every week we gather, and shortly after we gather, we confess. We repent as at baptism. The reason that John, Jesus' cousin, doesn't want to baptize Jesus is because Jesus doesn't need John's baptism. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, and what does Jesus need to repent of? John says, I need this baptism, Jesus. Baptize me. But Jesus knows that we need it. And if Jesus is living our story for us, Jesus needs to be baptized for us too. He knows our story, and he is baptized even as we are welcomed into baptism. When Christians are baptized, you'll notice they are always baptized in the name of the triune God. They are baptized in the name of Father, Spirit, and Son, just as Jesus at his baptism revealed this triune nature of God. So in confession, we remember our baptisms. We reorient our lives back to the triune God who called us son and daughter. And after confession, we always hear good news. We hear those affirming words about who we are in Christ. You are loved. You are special. With you, I am well pleased. That's baptism every week in our worship. We encounter God in our worship through praise and in prayer and shouts of joy and more often here, I think, in moments of silence. And we hear Jesus We hear the voice of God's Son, who we have been told to listen to. We hear Jesus in the words of a preacher. Preachers like to emphasize that one a lot. Um, But we also hear Jesus in the meditations of our hearts and in lots of other things that happen in our worship together. And when we hear Jesus, it changes us. We leave worship together each week a little bit different. Now that difference may be fleeting. Like Jesus' transfiguration, the change we see in ourselves might not last as long as we'd like it to. Monday may see us become a little bit more back to our old selves than we had been on Sunday night together. But the transfiguration promise of every Sunday worshiping together is that there is yet resurrection. 
that one day these small and incremental changes, the one step forward and two steps back, which feels all too often to be the pattern of our spiritual development, that feeling that the more we know about who God is and who we are in Jesus, the less it seems that we know about all of these things, that one day all of those changes will be made permanent. One day we will know fully what now we have only caught glimpses of in brightness, in dazzling beauty from time to time. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we can be confident that one day we will be our truest selves. So just as Jesus is transfigured, and his transfiguration serves to buoy the faith of disciples who would all too soon know all too closely the hardship of the cross. So too we, who are instructed to take up our crosses with Christ, are offered that same reassurance. At the end of Epiphany, as we begin to turn toward Lent, we prepare for that long journey which is ahead of us, that long journey which will see us choose to die to certain things and choose to remember ourselves back into Christ. That long journey which will encourage us to suffer certain hardships, hardships which we are openly invited into. That in the light of the transfiguration, in the pure brightness of the ever-living Father, those hardships seem a little bit lighter, perhaps a little bit more easy to bear with our gaze set once more upon the future glory which we are assured of, of the new selves which we will one day fully realize in Christ. There's this story from the Desert, desert Fathers. The Desert Fathers were Christian hermits who lived in the third century in the deserts of Egypt, and they envisioned themselves as doing spiritual battle on behalf of the world because in their world, Demons and evil live in the wilderness. So for the church, they went into the wilderness to deal with those things. And they lived by themselves most of the time, and they didn't write great novels like the religious people in the cities might have, but they left us short sayings and little stories. And there's a story that's shared in this way. Abba Lot, all the desert fathers are called Abba, which means father. Abba Lot went to see Abba Joseph and said to him, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office, short worship, I fast a little, I pray and meditate, I live in peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. What else can I do? Then the old man stood up and stretched his hands toward heaven and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said to him, If you will, you can become all flame. If Epiphany is about revealing the light of the triune God, then this becoming all flame is the goal of the Christian life, completely reflecting God's glory bringing glory to God and truly knowing God as we are enveloped in God's light. This is the promise of Jesus to all who follow after him, and it's what we practice each week as we worship together. The reality of the Christian life, as Abba Lot was all too aware of, 
is that becoming all flame requires a lot of flickering of that flame, a lot of sparks that don't catch, a lot of trying and feeling like it's not going anywhere, of that passing light of our everyday transfigurations, those moments when we shine, when we have been transformed by God and God says, this is my daughter, this is my son, this is the person who I love from the beginning. And with those fleeting glimpses, those temporary affirmations of what we will one day be complete in at the resurrection, we find that we have enough for the day, enough for the hard weeks ahead, that Jesus has modeled a way for us which we can walk in, which we can experience together every Sunday, which promises to be enough for the journey. I hope that in this season of epiphany, of growing light, that it sustains you in ways that you will come to know in the journey that lies ahead of you, that somehow you have been joined into Jesus' story to hear those words of the Father's approval, that you have known the Spirit's light, that you have heard the Son's voice, and each week as we gather together again that you may have eyes to see and to wonder at the work of transformation which God is doing in you and in all of us, that you might hold on to those moments, treasure them, carry them with you through your weeks, that when suffering comes, when hard days happen, you might look to Jesus' path and know that it's yours, that you might turn to God and know God's love, and that you might know most fully the hope of what is still yet to completely come. Let's pray together. Our God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon that holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, might be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.